Good morning. It's Wednesday, the first of November, and this is Govind Rajethi Raj in transit and otherwise based in Mumbai, India's financial capital. Our top stories and themes of the day: India's second quarter GDP will surprise on the upside, says the Reserve Bank of India governor. Foreign portfolio investors are selling Asia outside of China too. Mumbai hits an all-time record for October home sales, and the outlook is still strong. Comparing banks to tech companies is demeaning, says the Citibank India chief. And Thailand throws open borders for Indian tourists, offers free visas. This is a core report with Govindraj Athiraj. India's GDP growth and the upside. Reserve Bank of India Governor Shakti Kanta Das has a penchant to drop hints to numbers which he clearly knows more about, possibly in an attempt to assuage fears, if any, in this case of a slowing economy. So when he says so, he means so. Going by my own experiences of his utterances, India's second quarter gross domestic product GDP growth figure in all probability will surprise everyone on the upside. He said on Monday at the Business Standard BFSI Summit, 2023. Looking at the momentum of economic activity, looking at a few early indicators, I can say that the second quarter GDP number, as and when it is released at the end of November, in all probability will surprise everyone on the upside. I guess what that means is it will surprise everyone on the upside. India recorded a GDP growth of 7.8 percent in the April to June quarter of 23-24 against 13.1 percent in the year ago period, according to the National Statistical Data Organization. India still remains the fastest growing major economy as China's GDP in the April to June quarter was 6.3%. Das told the Business Standard the biggest challenge to the global economy is the evolving geopolitics and its fallout with regard to financial markets and global growth. New flashpoints are developing, new geopolitical conflict points are evolving, so geopolitics today poses the biggest risk for growth not just for India but the world as a whole he said. In early October the International Monetary Fund or IMF raised its 23-24 GDP growth forecast for India for the second time in 3 months to 6.3%, 20 basis points higher than what it done in late July. Markets are steady. Stock markets are cooling off once again as they evaluate the outcome of the Israeli invasion of Gaza which they have broadly discounted for now. The invasion itself is picking up pace and to some extent goes against the original market's expectation that there would be not one. Nevertheless, markets are steady and oil is still holding around $88 a barrel. The World Bank meanwhile said on Monday it expected global oil prices to average $90 a barrel in the fourth quarter and fall to an average of $81 next year as slowing growth eases demand. But did warn that an escalation of the latest Middle East conflict could spike prices significantly higher. The World Bank's latest commodity markets outlook report noted that oil prices have risen only about 6% since the start of the Israel-Hamas war, while prices of agricultural commodities, most metals and other commodities have barely budged. The World Bank's large disruption scenario approximates the impact of the 1973 Arab oil embargo, shrinking the global oil supply by 6 to 8 million barrels per day, which could drive up prices to $140 to $157 a barrel. a jump of up to 75% reported Reuters 
Well, back home in the Indian stock markets, the BSE Sensex ended about 238 points lower at 63,875, while the Nifty 50 closed down at 19,080, down 61 points. Meanwhile, global funds are offloading emerging Asia equities outside of China in droves as broader risk appetite cools amidst concerns over a stronger dollar, which we've been reporting here, higher borrowing costs, and of course, geopolitical tensions, according to Bloomberg. Foreign investors have sold nearly 11 billion dollars of shares in October, taking the three-month sell-off to about 27 billion dollars. says data that's been put together by Bloomberg now this apparently is the longest bout of selling since last june when the federal reserve's tightening cycle and lockdowns in major chinese cities was spooking investors so foreigners have pulled more than 4 billion dollars worth of stocks or shares from taiwan this month while redeeming more than 2 billion dollars from korean and indian markets so this is the number that you see or the equivalent of which when we talk about foreign portfolio investors who've been consistently selling in august and september and october now meanwhile china's stock market also continues to see outflows amidst persistent concerns about the health of the property sector as well as the weak broader economic recovery said bloomberg gold prices are too high to buy Back home, gold prices near record highs could dampen demand in India during the peak festival season and lead to the lowest purchase volumes in 3 years, the World Gold Council said on Tuesday. Indian gold consumption in the July to September quarter rose 10% to about 210 tons as both jewelry and investment demand improved due to a correction in local prices. India is the world's second largest gold consumer and a drop in purchases could limit a rally in gold prices, the World Gold Council has said. and as reported by Reuters on the flip side falling demand for gold imports could also help narrow india's trade deficit and support the rupee gold smuggling by the way going by the number of seizures is increasing in step of course with higher import duties something that most economic policy makers have warned through the years or over the years but an advice that's rarely heeded for whatever reason now gold demand in india usually strengthens around this time of the year along with the wedding season and of course dasera which just passed and diwali that's coming up when buying gold is considered auspicious local gold prices jumped this week to about 61396 per 10 grams and that's near the all time high of 61845 rupees hit earlier this year and in the december quarter demand is expected to be lower than last year's 276 million tons according to the world gold council So overall demand for 2023 could fall to about 700 tons the lowest in 3 years down from 774 tons a year ago according to a World Gold Council official Higher gold prices have been prompting some people to sell their old jewelry and coins leading to a jump in scrap supplies by 37% from a year ago to 91 tons in the first 9 months again from the World Gold Council Real estate is booming this time in Mumbai. Yesterday we spoke of how luxury properties are on a tear across the country with cities like Hyderabad leading the pack. Luxury homes continue to grow and faster than affordable homes now after the tide turned a few months ago. The last 9 months for example has seen a 115% rise in luxury home sales over the previous year according to real estate consulting from Anarok. And luxury homes are usually pegged at costing more than 1.5 crore rupees. New numbers out for Mumbai 
from real estate consulting firm Knight Frank says that Mumbai saw its highest October performance ever with a 25% increase in registrations and a 15% increase in stamp duty collection which of course goes to the government of the state. Mumbai city which is under the BMC jurisdiction in October 23 is estimated to have registered 10523 properties. Now these numbers of course reflect both new as well as resale numbers and like I said are hitting all time highs all over. Of the overall registered properties residential were about 80% and about 20% are non-residential. Like elsewhere and as is increasingly the case now properties more than a crore of rupees are selling more touching 56% of the total in October 23 or more than half compared to 50% last year. The state government is obviously raking it in with stamp duty up 25% year to date that's from the beginning of the year to now at about 9200 crores. So high property prices coupled with higher interest rates has impacted property registrations below the 1 crore rupee threshold. However, registrations for properties valued at 1 crore rupees and above are untouched and unfazed. I reached out to Vivek Rathi, director of research at Knight Frank and I began by asking him if prices were indeed rising everywhere as we were seeing was it a reflection of inflation or sheer demand particularly if we're talking about property prices the initial part of the price rise which happened in 2021 and 22 happened on the premise of inflation since then more than the argument for inflation or co increase in construction cost it is now purely the strength of consumer demand which is leading to this price rise and why i say this is because not particularly for mumbai but there are many markets where the price rise has been ahead of increase in construction cost which kind of you know substantiates this argument that why it has moved beyond the construction cost increase right and if people are buying properties in the manner that they are are they buying mostly for end use or is it people buying multiple properties because there are a lot of anecdotal stories about multiple property searches and nris i'm just trying to understand where is the key demand drivers or where are the key demand drivers coming from so in the market structure of today if you say for instance in case of mumbai when we are recording 10 year 11 year best sales it's kind of very on a stable foot particularly because these are end users who are driving this and why do we say so one is yes on ground feedback that's coming in in terms of the profile of buyers who are buying in typically in the 31 to 45 age group largely and buying with mortgage support and also because you know if you look at the investment premise investment premise has not yet established so strongly for you know investors to take a plunge there are other asset classes also which are doing very well in terms of price appreciation our uh, total return prospect and which is why you know right now most of the activity is being driven by end users not to say there are no investors but having said so end users are ruling the roost and when you say end users these are people who are buying since now more than 50% 56% is on the 1 crore plus category these are people who are buying for the first time buying to stay in it and yet are able to afford relatively higher priced houses yeah so particularly in mumbai share of 1 crore houses has gone up and it's gone up from almost 50% four years ago to 57% near about now and both the first time buyers as well as buyers who are looking to upgrade because when the pandemic experience happened and subsequently when people realized 
about upgrading their lifestyle, upgrading the quality quotient of their consumption. They moved from old projects, zero amenity projects into bigger projects and better projects, which offered lifestyle amenities, which offered a greater space to accommodate more work from home and study from home attributes whenever the need be. And on that account, these are the kind of consumers who are buying today. So Mumbai City, Vivek, is going by this and also the fact that there is a crowding out happening of people who can't afford more expensive one crore plus houses. It is becoming more and more unaffordable for people, isn't it? Whether it has broken the back of a consumer, not yet. But having said so, you're correct. Even when we look at our Nightshine Affordability Index, for eight cities, Mumbai continues to remain the most unaffordable compared to the last 10 years. It has improved on the charts. But having said so, it's still, you know, beyond benchmark and average benchmark, the median benchmark, which we calculate, particularly in the last two years also, even while the demand momentum is maintained, now there has been shrinkage in affordability for our typical home buyer, which has been caused by both home loan interest rate increase, as well as the price rise. Uh, like we've noted even earlier, home loan interest rate Increase alone has shrunk affordability by 15% for a typical consumer. And then there has been a price rise. Having said so, Mumbai is a market and the consumer desire is such that they're tapping into other resources to go ahead and fulfill their desire to buy a property. And which is why, you know, the market momentum continues to go up. So in terms of indebtedness, I mean, you know, we've seen all these other data points about rising indebtedness, falling savings. How much of this is, in your understanding, linked to what you're seeing on the demand side? When we monitored bank credit growth numbers, typically in the retail credit front, personal loan front, those have been rising at a fast cliff. Home loan, data home loan segment, as well as commercial real estate loans have also you know, grown at a very scorching pace, almost 20-25% YOY growth, which highlights you know both the volume of increase has ensured this increase in credit as well as the increased requirements on down payment as well as you know mortgage because of increase in interest rates and property price rise all of this has led to you know increased credit requirement from the same consumer and as we saw you know new consumers have also added the drag so this is certainly you know added to indebtedness having said so since it is the cause of asset creation when it comes to buying a property, when it comes to buying a house. And therefore, you know, it could be worthy of consideration over any other consumption items. Let's say six months to a year. Is that looking equally strong to you? I mean, considering that we are hitting new highs almost every month now. Certainly, the maybe 10, 11 year high in terms of sales volumes. And this is uh, despite all of the challenges that have come in, particularly from the global front. Having said so, on one hand, like we've noted, housing markets globally continue to do well. Even you know, in our latest September quarter numbers that we've seen for 45-50 markets, prime markets, prime housing markets globally, we reckon almost two-thirds of them continue to show price rise. So the consumer sentiment towards home ownership continues to remain strong globally, uh, number one. And when it comes to a market like India, we've been running a housing shortage for a long time in urban centers. Plus, there was five to six year down cycle in the housing market, which kind of has created a pent up demand, which provides further legs to this market. So if the 
supply side is in shape in terms of pricing and the promises being made to the consumer, then I think we have good runway. 6-12 months is easily given. Right. Vivek, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks. Comparing banks to tech companies is demeaning. Citibank India CEO Ashish Kular said yesterday that technology is critical to any industry, but he wouldn't like to become a technology company. Speaking to Business Standards Tamil Bandupadhyay at the Business Standard Summit in Mumbai, Kular said, I find it demeaning to compare what banks do and what technology companies do. Banks build a relationship of trust with their customers. We use technology as an enabler. He said, also said rather, two-thirds of city's total technology analytics is done out of India. Amitabh Chaudhary, Managing Director of Axis Bank, said the banking sector is serving its customers using technology, or rather serving its customers using technology. In the current marketplace, we are servicing our customers in terms of technology-oriented services. However, in order to focus more on technology, we need more tech-savvy people who can combine tech and banking. There is much more to this theme of trust and banking and what technology can do and cannot, but I promise to pick this up in coming days. More so given the distortion in understanding about what banking is about at a very fundamental level. For now, let me sum it up here somewhat differently. I once asked former Reserve Bank of India Governor Vaivi Reddy who he thought of or visualized when framing policy, including setting interest rates, and more specifically in the context of banking regulation and oversight. And he said, I only think of the man on the road, the ordinary person, the poor person. Thailand opens up its borders. Thailand will waive visa for travelers from India for six months ahead of the year-end holiday period in a fresh attempt to boost tourist arrivals. Sri Lanka had announced a similar move a few weeks ago for Indian and other tourists. So tourists from India as well as Taiwan will be able to enter Thailand without a visa between November 10th and May 10th next year, Prime Minister Sretha Thavisin told reporters on Tuesday. Thailand had previously waived visa requirements for travelers from China and Kazakhstan for five months until February next year. Thailand had hit a pre-pandemic record of 40 million tourists and has already crossed 20 million this year and is expecting to touch 29 million this year and 34 million next year, according to different reports. India, in contrast, for the same year, that is 2019, stood at around 11 million tourists inbound. India's outbound tourists, by the way, had touched almost 21 million last year and had touched 27 million in 2019. So, while this visa waiver will obviously encourage Indians to head there in greater numbers and also potentially really look at Vietnam, another hot destination for holidaying Indians in Southeast Asia, the issue at hand is obviously India's own tourist inflows and why they are not rising as fast. The year 2022 saw around 6.2 million foreign tourists. Now, this number will definitely be higher for 2023, but definitely not, again, what a country of India's size should be content with. India's own inbound tourism policies are not the friendliest, despite laudable efforts to introduce e-visas and the like. The earlier introduction of overseas citizen of India cards and so on help in bringing NRIs, but they're not necessarily classic tourists in terms of spending and boosting the local economy as they're more aligned with families here. So, this year will not be easy, or the next year rather, will not be easy on international tourism, particularly after the Israel-Hamas war and tension in the Middle East, and earlier, of course, the fallout of the Russia invasion of Ukraine. 
Many travelers, including from Europe, have canceled their trips to the East and perhaps elsewhere too. The massive production around the G20 summit across many cities in India was supposed to do many things, and maybe it did, but it surely doesn't look like it did anything to help tourism flows. And finally, speaking of eastbound flights or eastbound tourism, Air India has said it will launch its direct flight service from Mumbai to Melbourne in Australia starting December 15th. This will be the first non-stop between Mumbai and Australia, in this case, Melbourne. The flight services on the new route will be operated three times a week. Air India currently operates daily flights to Melbourne and Sydney from Delhi, flying 28 times every week between India and Australia. So if you are, then happy travels. That's it from me for today. Have a great day ahead. This was the core report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at the core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in. That is www.thecore.in. Or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you, including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at the core.in. Thank you for listening.